Do you know what is crazy? Uh, I mean, like I, I yeah, I listen to a Britney Spears track probably at least three to four times a week. Really? Yeah. Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Thank you for joining us on this lovely and warm Friday. Oh, my iPad died as the music was playing. That was it. That was the 1%. All right. Well, sorry, listeners. We'll just abruptly jump into the episode. Welcome from the uh, uh, the podcast dungeon here at uh, Casa de Melson. Joining me, of course, is Mr. Melson. What's up, dude? Hello, Scott. How are you this fine Friday? It is too damn hot. It is. It's. I noticed it's going to be a little cooler next week. Yeah, it looks like uh, next week, mostly in the uh, mid-80s, maybe some high-80s. looks like it's also going to rain every day. What would be nice would be like low to mid-80s with sun and, you know, not humidity. Right, uh, yeah. This is the second week in a row now. We've started the episode with a podcast or with a uh, weather report, so... Do, 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 do. You know, I've got uh, I've got several patients that have uh, have recently moved to Oklahoma uh, from from California for various reasons, and it is interesting because, you know, it, and I should say there are various reasons that people have moved, but I do have I do have some patients that have explicitly said that they have moved to Calif- moved from Oklahoma to California because they wanted to live in a conservative state as opposed to commie California as they call it. California has more Republican voters than Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, that's true, but I don't think as a share of the population. No, but <laughs> no, but honestly, you know, there's uh, there's that movement to separate California into five states. Yeah. And uh, it's not moving very fast. Three but of them would be Republican. Yeah. I mean, so like uh, Northern California, what, yeah. what is like, it's like the fifth most Republican state if you divide it out. Like it's, Yeah, totally. And most and honestly, most of the patients that I have have moved to Oklahoma from Northern California. And it's it's just funny because they're like, yeah, I've got to get to Oklahoma way because all the liberals out in California. But then they'll come into my office and they're like, man, Dr. Melson, I've never had allergies before in my life. But yeah. they just, it was a, I was like, yeah, yeah, that that's a thing here. Then they'll come and they're like, is the weather always like this? And I'm like, no, it gets hotter. Right, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, it, it gets worse in whatever direction you don't like. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, uh, when is fall? And I'm like, well, Thursday. You know, the, the, the leaves <laughs> will change in about October, but then in November, it'll be cold and wet and icy as right. shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the leaves will begin to turn, <laughs> then fall off, except for last year in which they got coated with ice and the world ended. Yeah. And so then it's like, uh, you know, glad you're here. Glad to have you. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, was it. Was it worth it to move from one of the greatest climates literally in the world just so you can live somewhere where, like, you know, you can buy big guns? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it, if it is, great. Well, so last week my mother-in-law was in Seattle visiting her friend, and she came back and she was like, oh, the weather was just lovely the whole time. I, I wish we had that. And then today I had a call with a woman in Seattle, and you know what's going to be like this weekend? Freaking hot. 15 degrees hotter than it is in Oklahoma. I mean... You know, uh, listeners, long-time listeners will know that uh, I love Canada. I'm obsessed with British Columbia. <laughs> and uh, there was a time a couple of years ago we went where I was, like, obsessively watching the weather because I was just like, this is complete bullshit because the week we're going to be there in August, the highs in Oklahoma are, like, 72. Yeah. And the highs in 
like the mountains of British Columbia look like they're going to be 95. Yep. And yeah. I was like, I feel cheated. Yeah. But fortunately, it did not happen that way. I went to San Diego for a conference one time, and it was like 85, 87. And I was like, this isn't so bad. I was walking around, and the locals were just like, oh, my gosh, this heat wave. And I was like, okay, yes. no wonder yes. everyone wants to live in San Diego. Anywho, we should get into some uh, Oklahoma political and governmental news. Uh, but first, let's start with health news. Uh, COVID-19, I almost said COVID-20, but I mean, at this point it's all the same. Uh, cases are increasing in Oklahoma and around the country. Oklahoma has roughly double the number of new diagnoses since the beginning of June. So that's uh, went from like 90 to 199 or something like that uh, in the past month. Uh, as on the uh, seven-day rolling average, I'll say that. So that's how many new cases per day. Um, it's likely due to the Delta variant, right, Scott? But Because yeah. um, there's an outbreak, I guess, in Missouri that is known to be of the Delta variant. But in Oklahoma, we can't know for sure because we are dead last for genomic sequencing with just 0.19%. So um, definitely, definitely suboptimal. Yeah, we'd, um, so good news, right, is that vaccinated folks are not contracting the virus, um, but Oklahoma only has about 37% of folks vaccinated, which I guess means that there's a lot of people out there who are, we'll say, eligible to get the virus. Yeah, yeah I mean, that that that's 100%. And I'm, I feel a little, I'm like, uh, I just had, a, I think I just had a little like a, uh, like a flashback because we're going to have to start having COVID updates again every week because the situation is getting worse now. Is that about uh, Yeah. It's like, God damn it. Like I thought we were. I, like, I texted uh, <laughs> Paul Money to Oklahoma Watch and I was like, hey man, uh, looks like there's outbreaks in Missouri and Colorado and Arkansas. Not yet here, but it's coming. He was like, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I'll tell you, I just, uh, without, I, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, but uh, the, the one in Southwest Missouri is bad. I mean, it's real bad. Yeah. Like there's hospitals there that are, ICU, you know, there's over 100 patients in the hospital with COVID. I see, you know, 37% of them or so are in the ICU. ICUs are filling up. There's ICUs in Colorado that are full of COVID. Like, it's not, it's not over. But the thing is, it can be. It can be over. And, and you know. Well, because the, almost all the cases are yes. people who were unvaccinated. I so. mean, like, like literally like 99% or more of cases uh, that, that we're diagnosing now, and particularly cases that are severe enough to warrant hospitalization or result yeah. in death are, I mean, like almost exclusively patients that are unvaccinated. And so, you know, on the one hand, like if you're listening to this show, I would guess that the odds are pretty good that you're vaccinated. Um, that seems like our demo is probably right. in the high, yeah. vac- the high yeah. vaccine. Provax. Yeah. High, high vaccine group. But I, I'll just guarantee you, Every single person who's listening to this right now knows multiple people who haven't gotten the shot. And every single person right now has someone in multiple people within their sphere of influence who haven't gotten the shot. And it is imperative that you reach out to those people and talk to them on whatever level you're comfortable with or tell them to talk to their doctor um, to get to get vaccinated. Because what you don't want, right, is you, you to get you, it. Yeah. Well, what you what you what you don't want is you don't want Delta right now, which we appear to have pretty good protection from if you're vaccinated, particularly if you're vaccinated with an mRNA vaccine. We really don't want that to change. Now, I was just reading a thread um, from Helen Branswell on Twitter before we started the show. Um, there are multiple, uh, like lots of people that are working on boosters. Um, 
uh, CDC and, and FDA have not come out and said yet whether they think boosters are necessarily going to be um, like whether we're going to have to have boosters or not, but they are actively working on it. I suspect we probably will need a booster at some point. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's something that is like ongoing, mm-hmm. but it's, it ain't, it ain't next week. It ain't tomorrow. And hopefully we don't need it next week, but just please, if you have people in your life that you can influence to get the shot, um, please tell them to get the shot. You can, you can tell them they can, We should have used Delta Dawn as our theme music. We should have used Delta Dawn as our theme music. You can even, uh, if you've got folks that aren't vaccinated and they're on Twitter, you can tell them, uh, message me on Twitter. I will answer their questions about the vaccine to the best, I, to the best of my ability over, uh, over Twitter. Um, not Facebook, though. Don't Facebook me. It's tough because, you know, I, like you, I'm sure I have friends who have relatives, parents even, who refuse to get the, the vaccine. And I wonder, you know, if, if if we see a clear increase among people who are unvaccinated and it's like listen i mean we saw headlines this week where it's like all covid cases or nearly all covid cases are among the unvaccinated like it is a clear thing and people start dying again you know like then i think we might start to see a sh- a slow shift right hopefully it's fast but maybe it's slow yeah but that's COVID. It's still here. It's getting worse. Get your shot if you haven't. Get your shot. Shot, shot, shot. So uh, the Board of Regents met this week for uh, Board of Regents for Higher Education. Mm-hmm. They met on, what was that, Monday? Yeah. Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday. Um, they uh, they increased tuition and fees. So College know, students who are listening, yeah, both uh, of you. Getting more expensive. But not that much, right? Only like 250 bucks a year? I mean... I don't know if I ever heard him say only in two hundred fifty dollars. Well, I'm not sentence. saying it's nothing. <laughs> they, I will say the regents um, described it as basically one month of groceries, and I was like, "There's no college kids paying two hundred fifty bucks a month for groceries." Yeah, I mean that's you know that's that's true. I, uh, I, I just anytime, anytime I see the the universities increasing tuition, I it just it makes me angry. Well, yeah, no one likes it. The thing to me that was particularly odd about this, now the timing is just coincidental, but uh, as I think we mentioned last week, Nondoc is suing the University of Oklahoma because they have not yet released the reports, these two reports from the Jones Day law firm, right? So one report is about allegations of sexual misconduct by former president uh, uh, David Boren. The other report by the same law firm is about allegations of fiscal mismanagement at the university, specifically falsified or fudged fundraising reports. Now, I have often heard it said that President Boren was a, like, a voracious fundraiser. You know, that he, he could raise money like nobody's business. I've heard that from folks inside and outside the university. Agree. And so the the thing is, it sounds like, they added some zeros to some of the, <laughs> those pledges. And so it's just weird. It, the thing I think to me, you never underestimate someone's ability to like mess things up, right? So it's like, oh, the same week they're getting sued because they won't release the report that says, presumably, that... How they mismanaged their money. That they didn't raise as much money as they said they did. And then they also have to raise tuition, right? Where it's like, oh, well, oh, well how short of money are you? Well... 
So that's that's a great. I mean, that's a great point. I also I get wound up about this because you know um, I you know paid a lot of money for my education at both the undergraduate and graduate level, and that's fine. But I also am acutely aware of how much education costs have gone up since, say, like the seventies or eighties. I mean, and the percentages are just astronomical. You know, I mean, I remember talking with uh, you know family members that you know talking about when they went to college and the seventies, how they were going to college also working full-time and by working full-time while going to college they were making enough money to both pay their tuition and send money home to their family and take care of themselves and it's just like take care of themselves i'm gonna sound like bob stoops and lincoln riley take care of themselves and i just i mean i worked not full-time in college but i worked uh, uh you know 20 to 30 hours a week almost all through college at, at various jobs and I don't see how that's possible, right? Co- college costs, like tuition costs have gone up so much. They rapidly outpaced inflation. And it's not clear to me if the value of the education has gone up that much. Oh, that's, right? that's and, a good question. And so like when you look at when you, you know, I, there's lots of data showing the way that lifetime earnings increase um, with a college degree. But I don't know that that earnings increase I, I don't know if I don't know if that has gone up commensurate with tuition increases, and in fact, I think it may have gone down since the '70s and '80s. And so, I just wonder: are students paying more and getting less? And so, if I was a student at OU, I would want to know: like, why is it going to cost two hundred forty dollars a year more? Like, what is happening to the university's costs that they're having to keep? Well, you they know? but they haven't raised it for like several years. I thought they'd raised it like three years ago. Four, I think. Well, four. Uh, several is four. I mean. <laughs> I don't know how much the rate, how much the increase was then, but yeah. Um, so that's that's a big deal. And just there's there's just a lot a lot to watch going on in Norman, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of it's off the football field. I wonder. We may we should do an, an episode about transparency, not just because I uh, you know I'm director of Freedom of Information in Oklahoma, but because there's some important things happening, particularly um, on behalf of journalists in our state. So I wonder if we can get Trey Savage or uh, Katie Beth Gardner on here. We should go do a live pod from outside the next Board of Regents meeting. Oh, that's not just, a bad idea. We should just lie. We should just have, have just be doing a live pod the whole time the Regents are meeting. They, they meet for like twelve hours. They, yeah. we, should, we should just the whole time, and then just have a bottle of whiskey and just be like, yeah. "We're gonna sit here drinking whiskey till you guys come out." Well, I I talked to Trace the other day. I think we should do a crossover pod in the News Dungeon with their epi- their podcast, oh, which is great. live from the News Dungeon. Um, we could do it on closed caption television from your dungeon to theirs. From our dungeon to yours. Or, hey, if we're all vaccinated, we can just do it all together. I think we're all vaccinated. We can do it together. All right. Um, so speaking of uh, you know audits and reports and such, oh, yeah. this week the Legislative Office of Fiscal Transparency, LOFT, the LOFT, LOFT, released a report that says that, uh, um, well, that, it questions the effectiveness of the Tobacco Settlement Endowment Trust, or TSET. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked and dismayed to find out that the that the group appointed by the legislature to uh, look at uh, look at fiscal uh, transparency and the effectiveness of spending went to TSET and said, "We don't think that this money is well spent." I I cannot. I cannot imagine that the legislature's hand-picked group looked at T-Set and said, this is bullshit. T-Set, who, uh, listeners, you may remember that last year the legislature sent a 
a ballot measure, state question 814, to the ballot, asking voters to give the legislature more access to the TSET funds. Uh, voters rejected the measure. And it wasn't close. Yeah, it was pretty handedly. And uh, so, yeah, now that the, the that they're coming after them, being like, oh, you know what? We don't even know that you're doing anything. <laughs> the, the voters the voters were like, look, I don't, I don't know if TSET does a great job spending this money, but we're damn sure not going to give it to the legislature. Right. Now, so this... This is a, I think, is a super interesting thing, and I think we should have Julie Bisbee on here to talk about it. She's the director of TSET. I, uh, I will admit um, that I have maligned TSET on Twitter on occasion, and and Julie reached out and was like, "Hey, can we have coffee and talk about this?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." Um, and part of the issue that I saw is what the legislature said as well, right? Is that it seems that some of the outcome measures are unable to be measured. Which is true, right? Like how it's difficult to assess public sentiment and some of these things. How and also it's not like in a it is not a true scientific measure because you can't control for certain things. Now, what we do know, what these are the facts, Scott. Oklahoma is top ten for tobacco cessation spending, right? So we spend more than um, forty other states on tobacco cessation. However, we are still, and we have been for a while, however, we are also top 10 for adult and youth smoking rates. I think we're 40th for adults and like 44th uh, highest for youth smoking rates. So TSAT has been around for, I don't know what, 20 years? And um, they've been doing this stuff for a long time, and yet... We're still here with high rates. Now, people will cite, oh, well, but it is it is cultural for Native Americans, and it's this and that, but this is not the case. I remember an episode, I have to go back and look, we talked about this on the show because the Department of Mental Health's funding, a portion of their funding is tied to the youth smoking rate, and we were in jeopardy probably three years ago that if we did not lower the youth smoking rate, we would lose funding for the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. And now, the rest of the story. <laughs> Paul Harvey, right? That's right, yeah. yeah no, uh, no, all all, all valid points. I mean, I, I think Tisa does a pretty good job, and I'm not going to say they can't do some things better. Um, I mean, I, I would say one thing, quitting smoking, really, really hard. Yeah. Like it's really hard. Nicotine is more addictive than heroin, I heard. Uh, I it's, read. It's, 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 inc- it's incredibly addictive. It's also most. This is not. This is not one hundred percent true, but most smokers live in a household where somebody else smokes too, and so like um, y- you got to get everybody to quit, or like the person that you just get to quit is also going to keep smoking, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's a big part of it. Um, you know, kids see their parents smoke, and like kids want to do what adults do, so they start using tobacco. Right. Vaping is not helping things either. So, yeah. you know, I I hear the like, well, they spend all this money, and people still smoke. Totally true, hundred percent true, but I don't. I don't. This is. I, it's. It's not to say that I think that's not money well spent, but it takes more than that. You're right. Um, right. You know, to to measurably impact smoking, and and the most important thing is, you know, I, and I literally have this conversation with patients every day. To get somebody to quit smoking, they have to want to quit smoking. Right. 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 And 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 and. So there's just there's just a there's just a lot, you know. So could there, Scott? Could there be 
anything that the legislature themselves could do from a policy perspective to help uh, de-incentivize smokers. Yeah, I mean, there's always the thought that they could raise the tobacco tax. What? Which is, which is right. Which is like not not an unreasonable thing to do at all. You know, as a, like as a as a doctor. Did, yeah, man, tax did, the tax the shit out of it. Right? Didn't they raise the tax a couple of years ago? Yeah, so they raised it as part of that uh, part of the. House Bill 1010XX, right? That uh, raised all that money. What? Was that Step Up? Well, it was proposed as part of Step Up, but it was also included in 1010XX, right? Because Step Up didn't pass, right? Right. And then there was like Step Up plus plus or plus, and then it evolved into 1010XX. Yeah. But, um, and the deal was like, that was, that was a thought was that they could raise, that they could raise the tobacco tax. Um, Democrats largely did not want to only raise the tobacco tax because it is correctly seen as a regressive tax policy, right? It disproportionately uh, affects people um, at the uh, uh, of lesser uh, economic lower. means. Yep. Yeah, and so um, you know, as a doctor, yeah, man, I, I, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna oppose the tobacco tax, and certainly, and data has shown that tobacco taxes are um, very, eff- they're, they're effective, and I, I actually, I will do this with patients. Like I'll have patients come in and I'll say, you know, say how much you smoke? You ready to quit? Ready to quit smoking? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, hey, just curious. How much pack of cigarettes now? And I'll say oh, about seven bucks. And I'll say, and I'll say you're smoking how many packs a day? And I say, oh, you know, about a pack a day. And I'm like, all right. So that's uh, seventy bucks every ten days. Yeah. So that's two hundred ten dollars a month. Yeah. So that's twenty six hundred dollars a year. <laughs> they just kind of look at me and they're like, yeah, I guess so. And I'm like, hey, man, I could use an extra 2600 bucks a year. Right. Like, that's a vacation. And you you talk to people in those terms and say, like, like I'm not going to sit here and twist your arm if you're not ready to quit smoking. But, right. like, that's yeah. $2,600. Yeah, it's tough, right? Like, and if I remember correctly, when the legislature changed the tax a few years ago, um, there had been discussion about increasing the tax to a dollar fifty a pack, which is a steep tax, right? And they ended up passing it at a dollar, a dollar, dollar ten, something like that. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, um, the issue was this: that passing the tax at a dollar does a lot for the state budget, but does very little for dissuading smokers. Like the break point for reducing the number of smokers was at a dollar fifty or something close to that. And so what the legislature effectively did was raise money without decreasing the number of smokers. Yeah. Now if you're trying to raise money, that makes sense. You don't want people to quit, right? Yeah. And I just on a broader sense, I think this is an issue that is really interesting on a personal level, probably for you and I and all of our listeners, right? Where we feel a tension within ourselves about our policy priorities, right? We want to reduce smoking. We know it is good for a myriad of reasons, right? We also don't want taxes to disproportionately affect, uh, you know, poor people, right? And and so it's like, well, uh, what do we do? Like, we want this, we don't want that, but you, they are mutually exclusive in this situation. I mean, it, <clears throat> and then there's the the like cold hard calculus, you know, the the calculus that I don't know if the legislature made this calculus or not, but that man, if we raise the tax too much, it's not actually going to raise any money. Because nobody's going to buy cigarettes, right? Right. But you know, the, the flip side of that is too, if you get a bunch of people to quit smoking, uh, I I don't have the data to prove this. You could do a 
it wouldn't be too hard to do the analysis. I'm sure somebody's done it, probably at OK Policy. But you get you cut the smoking rate in half. I bet that you would see a disproportionate impact on Medicaid spending mm-hmm. um, yeah. relatively quickly, right? Like you could see, you know, in terms of medications for you know medications for COPD, treatment for lung cancer, doctor visits, you know, COPD exacerbate. I mean, you just there's like all all kinds of stuff that healthcare spending that would drop dramatically. So if you're if you're thinking for like the long term from a like good for people and good fiscal policy, um, then then the best policy is to get people to quit smoking. But there is going to be a short term disproportionate impact on you know smokers, obviously, and demographically that that's going to hit people that are you know kind of at the at, uh, of less means. Yeah. On the chance that our listeners can hear me coughing in the background while you're speaking. He's got COVID. <laughs> it is neither COVID nor smoking, for that matter. Uh, in fact, my daughter started daycare recently. And as any COVID baby will tell you, uh, they've never been exposed to any diseases. So she got a routine virus, which she promptly gave to me. And that's also why my voice sounds a little uh, thin today. Two days ago, man, I didn't have a voice at all. Like on Wednesday, I could not. It was, I had to like physically shout to be heard on zoom calls um and that was embarrassing uh and it was very bad i'm sorry that sucks that's all right i'm uh mostly better <laughs> as he coughs again that's right yeah um so uh i guess in somewhat big news was that last week i mean supposedly big news if it actually happens but potentially we yeah. talked about this last week didn't we i don't think did we talk about it on on the show i don't remember we, you and I talked about it extensively. Well, I figured that, yes. <laughs> off, off the air. I can't remember if we talked about it on the show or yeah. not. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> Canoe, a uh, electronic, no, electric vehicle. What's the, I guess they're not entirely electronic because there are mechanical components. So, electric vehicle company is uh, has, a, has chosen, publicly chosen, prior Oklahoma as the home of their new vehicle production facility. It's pronounced prior. Prior. All right. Well, this will allegedly also bring up uh, or create up to 2,000 jobs in Prior. We did, because I Googled this, there's a population of only 9,000 ish people. No, you didn't Google that. You Googled uh, uh, the population of where we're, where they're closing the jail in, oh, uh, so in that in county. I, you Googled you the sure? part of Blaine County, I think. Well, okay. Man, it all runs together. Um, I'll blame the mucus in my head anyway uh so the state offered a bunch of incentives right it, which is normal like 300 million dollars worth of incentives well that's apparently. what canoe said but the state won't confirm it which is against the law well yes and no all right so i'm gonna put on my uh foi oklahoma hat here um so there are exceptions in the open records law so the first of all the records have been requested by several news outlets including the oklahoman and cnhi and others and the department of commerce the oklahoma department of commerce said uh we don't have to give that to you yet because the deal is not signed um the and anything to do with like negotiations and some of that it does not have to be released yet so the oklahoman has a good story on it that basically says like we will find out but it could be years because what the state has said is the the incentives are based on performance. So basically, Canoe has to do certain things in order to receive these incentives. So the only person that is 
mention a figure is the CEO of Canoe, who, if you look up their SEC filings and do a little due diligence, Canoe is not uh, entirely without blemish. No, no, and they're not that big of a company either. No, have they actually produced any vehicles? One, I don't think that they have. I believe, if I understand it correctly, currently they have a design for a vehicle that's being produced elsewhere because they don't have their own factory. It's in Canada, right? Uh, yes, so that's number one. Number two, which is, okay, first of all, how Canadian of a thing move to have a vehicle in your country, like, to, it's produced in Canada and it's called Canoe. I mean, I love the Canadians. Um... <laughs> But 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 what is canoe right now employs what like like fifty people a couple hundred people something like they don't employ yeah. that many people so this is a a a truly exponential um, uh, growth in their workforce um, it takes their production capacity from zero to full um, and they've what do you said they've been they, is it that they've been sued a couple of times they've been, they've had some. They've had some stuff going on that doesn't make it look like they're 100% on the up and up. And so, you know, I uh, I just, you know, I'm all for bringing jobs to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm all for anything that diversifies our economy. Um, and, and, you know, I think it would be very good for there to be good paying jobs in rural Oklahoma that are not dependent on oil and gas. Right. I think that would be good for... Most of all those communities, but good for any number of other reasons. But I'm just a little skeptical. I'm a little skeptical that this is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I 100% agree. If this happens, it is tremendous for the state, certainly for the community of Pryor. But there are some big questions out there, right? And in fact, even as late as last December, right? So just, I mean, literally just six months ago, um, Canoe had uh, made some announcements because they were they went public I think last December, and so they um, their first vehicle was like this subscription only van, and then they were like oh, okay we're not going to make that after How all. How do you subscribe to a van? <clears throat> well, I think it uh, you know it's I imagine it's kind of like one of those music subscription CD company things back in the nineties where they just keep mailing you vans every month and you can't quit. I mean. If it's not a van, I could be into that. You buy buy five, get one free. BG, BGM was that one of them? I, Do you I remember just, those CD subscription things? It was like a huge coup. I mean, I remember going to Sam Goody's and just buying CDs with my allowance. <laughs> <laughs> what was your What was your first CD you purchased? Do you remember? <laughs> this would be good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was. Um, oh, let me let me make sure I get the right. I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. Yeah, well, so I can tell you the first uh, the the first uh, cassette tape that I bought with my own money was "Rope in the Wind" by Garth Brooks. <laughs> And the first... Tell me you're Oklahoman without telling me you're Oklahoman. And the first CD that I bought was And the Music Speaks by by R&B Group All for One. Oh, yeah. In 1995. Excellent. (laughs) Well done. My first... uh, I'll, I'll go now. My first cassette was either MC Hammer or Vanilla Ice. 
pretty sure it's MC Hammer. Nice. His, uh, I assume you can't touch this, that whatever album that was on. It could have been too legit to quit, but uh, my first CD was Nirvana's Bleach album. Oh, solid. M- most people don't own it. So I'll tell you the 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 first there there's one CD that I was given for I was given as a gift. I want to say it was for my birthday. Uh I think when I was I don't remember what age I was, but um Michael Bolton. No, no, it was uh with a man. Uh <laughs> no, that was that was that was not it. No, my cousin uh my cousin gave me um uh Third Eye Blind uh, their oh. their debut album, um, and I was just like, "Whoa!" Right. Like that was a, <laughs> it was a like I listened to that album and I was like, it was. I mean, it truly. Um, and it's funny because Ashley will tell you this too because that's one of her favorite albums of all time. Um, that that is a that was a formative album for her. Um, another one for me uh, was uh, man, I'm dating myself. Um, uh, the Goo Goo Dolls, um, mm, both yeah. both boy named Ghoul, boy named Ghoul, both boy named Goo and Dizzy Up the Girl were yeah, yeah. Uh, were purchases of mine. I, st- I both both albums that I still listen to. This tracks uh, twenty five years later. This tracks everything I know about Scott. <laughs> I can totally picture you in high school listening to that. Uh, yeah. When I was in, uh, we'll move on after this. But when I was in high school, probably a senior, I came up here to my my the college I eventually attended Southern Nazarene University and it was for like the fall college days visit thing and they schedule like a big talent show during that time or maybe it was their lip sync contest thing they did every year and uh, I was here with my girlfriend who was also going to attend SNU and uh, obviously we didn't we didn't we broke up after our freshman year but we uh, so we're in the chapel right for this like lip sync and in between acts, they're they're playing popular music, and they played uh, some Google Dolls song I forgot, and everyone's singing along. And it's like dark, and it was such a happy like kumbaya moment. And my girlfriend's like, "What song is this?" Because she grew up listening to only like contemporary Christian music. Is that and, when you broke up with her? Because it should have been. No, it was uh, several. I mean, almost a year later, because she didn't believe in dinosaurs. I mean that's also a good reason. <laughs> I mean that's not, there was more to it, but that was that came out in that final conversation and that I think she broke up with me actually, but I was fine with it and then that like came up in the conversation and I was like, "What? Well, this is a weird turn, but okay, no problem." No problem. Uh, how did we get how did we get on this? We, Man, way uh, off. Let's go school, let's go back. This is what happens when we talk about canoes, right? I mean, yeah. All that to say, I mean, we'll see. I I mean, I hope I hope it happens. I hope it happens for the people of Pryor. I hope it happens for the state of Oklahoma. Um, I hope it happens for electric vehicles in America. Like I hope it's a, a good deal, but I'm I'm skeptical. It could be. Yeah, canoe seems uh, like a little too trendy. Like their name and the spelling with the two O's and the everything. Also, it came to Oklahoma. This whole thing happened because allegedly uh, the Tulsa World had an article. I think today that former U.S. Senator Don Nichols, who's a from Oklahoma um, had tipped off the governor in his office to the post or the department of commerce to the possibility of the deal 
because someone he knows or is related to was like on the board of Canoe, and they were like, "Hey, you should check into this." And oh, maybe maybe Nichols was on the board and told someone to call. Anyway, it was a it was a connection that seemed legitimate. Um, and uh, and like we said, if it happens, great. If not, we you heard it here first. Yeah, I uh, I um I could get real into this is only tangentially related. I could maybe get into those electric Ford F one fifties. The the new lightning? Yeah. Those look pretty cool. Yeah, Peter McKinnon's got a YouTube video about it. I need to watch. Like it looks 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 pretty cool. But anyway. Um lastly on our list this week, uh we still don't have an attorney general. Uh word on the street is that it might be after the July fourth holiday before we get one. Um so we'll we'll see. There are multiple candidates. Um there's Ryan Leonard who is uh, currently a Governor State Special Counsel for Native American Affairs. I don't know Mr. Leonard. I'm sure he's a great lawyer. I feel like the governor's track record on Native American Affairs is not great. So I don't yeah. know if he'll... Well, so that's the deal, right? Like the governor is going to want someone to back him up with all this McGirt business. It's, and from what I hear, Leonard might be the front runner. I, 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 I have no idea. Uh, I did learn something last night. Did you know that to be... Uh, Attorney General of the state of Oklahoma, you have to have lived in Oklahoma for 10 years. I didn't. That's an interesting thing, yeah. considering how many other judicial appointments um, you can have and not even be a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim Downing, uh, who previously was Governor Smith's counsel for Secretary of State, then he became a U.S. attorney. Uh, and then when uh, President Biden took office, he resigned, which actually, you know, I think we talked to you were like, that's kind of weird. I don't think that is is that weird. I think actually I, I think it is because it was a big deal during the Bush administration. Right. That like he I think when he won re-election um, asked for the resignation of like all the U.S. attorneys um, because they really? yeah, because they serve at the pleasure of the president. And um, I'm sick of you guys get out of here. Well, I think, though, but it's kind of I think that's I think. I, I'm, I could be wrong, and I've got a source I'll ask about this. I think it's kind of a thing where when a new president gets elected, oftentimes U.S. attorneys like offer their resignation, mm. and sometimes it's maybe accepted, and sometimes it's not. I guess Mr. Downing's was, or maybe he was like, I'm not working for you. Um, right. Well, um, I mean, in some ways that's weird. In some ways it's comforting, right? Like Because there's a lot of hubbub about all these, you know, Trump... Um, yeah. judicial related appointments but if it's like tradition that, that they step down it also is bananas to me that we would be changing overall so many thousands of positions every four years yeah I mean to, totally uh, Trisha Everest also in the running who was uh, secretary for public safety and is currently no she resigned yeah as the chair of the jail trust right she has some other well, and then she led the no campaign against the criminal justice reform measure. Mm. Uh, there's Greg Mashburn and AJ. Is it AJ Ferret? How do you I say think something? so? Yeah, some a local term. and then and then Gittner Drummond, Gittner. who uh, ran against uh, former Attorney General Hunter in 2018. I I just want to say I'm looking at our outline. I feel like I feel like there's been an omission. Who's that? There's somebody who's not on this list. Tell me. Well, I would tell you, but I don't. Oh. Know if I, I don't think I can because we don't the, have the music. The, the iPod's dead, and we don't have the music. Yeah, it was. Well, it's an iPad first of all because it's 2021, and yes, Scott <laughs> Pruitt. Um, I I don't even know. You know, I mean, I'm sure he. I'm sure he won't be, but like, 
Well, today we had a I had a discussion with some folks about the idea of of pulling together a panel of speakers that are all former AG. So you'd have Drew Edmondson, you'd have Mike Hunter, you'd have um, Scott Pruitt, and um, one other person. I can't think of who it is, but I was just like, can you? Oh, um, <laughs> Mike Turpin. Yeah. So you got Edmondson, Turpin, Hunter, and Pruitt, right? Like, I feel like that is the the four quadrants of some kind of uh, something, some kind of chart. Like, like Turpin is probably like the chaotic good, and then Pruitt is the chaotic bad, right? And <laughs> if we if we do that, when you announce Scott Pruitt's name, I want to play the damn music, right? <laughs> I think I told him, we and should- then and then Scott Pruitt's gonna be like. What uh? What's this music? Right. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, sir. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. That'd be I. I would be curious. I. You know. Um. I've. You know. I've met Drew several times. Uh. And and spent some time with him. Um. I've never met Mike Turpin or Scott Pruitt. I'd be interested. I've. You know. We interviewed. Uh, yeah. Uh, Attorney General Hunter for the show. I don't feel like I'm an easily intimidated person. Attorney General Hunter was an intimidating man. Really? That I felt like that was an not a, like a bat. Like he wasn't a jerk, or like he was really? he was he was super nice and like super like personable and answered all yeah. of our questions and gave us an hour of time. And I'm still grateful that he came on the show. Um, but I was just like sitting next to him, and I was like, I feel like you are someone who is not to be trifled with. Well, that's fair. I thought I, that's funny. I thought he was very personable as well i did not feel intimidated some of it though i think was because we were in his office in that like library room surrounded with the by big table giant books yeah the... but he was very affable and I yeah he was... was great and he gave us a ton of time and answered all our questions it was yeah. awesome listeners uh please go back and listen to that that was about the opioid lawsuit yeah yeah which uh his legacy is uh i mean i think he was hoping that was gonna be a legacy issue but it was a little bit tarnished from the get-go, and yeah. obviously when you resign from office, it doesn't bode well for your legacy. Yeah, yeah. All right, well... Um, that about does it, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's important to note, um, as we uh, near the end of the episode here, that not next week, but the week after, the legislature is going to start hosting their congressional redistricting town halls. So they will start on... July 8th, uh, and it's basically every Tuesday, Thursday for the month of July. Um, so it's they're all at 6 p.m. They're doing five in-person plus two virtual ones. So July 8th is in Oklahoma City. July 13th is virtual. Um, they'll use Microsoft Teams, I presume, like always. Um, July 20th will be in Enid. July 22nd is in Tulsa. July 27th is in McAllister. July 29th is in Lawton. And then they'll end on August 3rd with another virtual one. All of this is a lead-up to the Census Bureau's expected release of the full census data on August 16th, I think. And uh, so they're doing these town hall meetings. Listeners, I encourage you strongly to attend as many of them as you can. They're all open to the public the virtual ones are more convenient, I guess, because you can log on for your computer. Uh, and then those, on you can ask questions. But I'm going to try to go to all of these. Do you want to go to some? 
if you're interested. I know I, 6 o'clock I, is I, difficult I, for you on a Tuesday, Thursday. I, I actually would. I probably would not be able to make uh, – you know, the Enid or Tulsa or Callister or honestly Lawton, but I could go to the first one. Oklahoma City one. City What's appropriate? Yeah. That's where you live. Right. All right. Cool. Well, let's go. Um, and uh, if listeners, if you are planning to attend any of these and you're not sure what to ask or what to look for, um, hit me up. Right. So send us an email. Um, podcast at let's fix this dot org is an easy way. You can email me, Andy, at let's fix this dot org. That's fine, too. It all comes to the same inbox, honestly. Uh, and uh, or hit me up on Twitter at Andy OKC or at Let's Fix This OK. These are very important. In the past, when they have done the redistricting town halls for the state legislative districts, it was more of an information session. They would say, "Here's what we're doing. Here's the here's the reason why. Like, here's why we do redistricting. Here's how we're going to do it." And it, they just kind of shared some information, but there wasn't really like an information gathering segment. And that's the piece that I really feel like they missed on. Um, and this is, you know, I will, I will now put on my people, not politicians hat. Um, <clears throat> if the legislature was serious about drawing districts that reflect the public, hell, they might ask a question. What do y'all think? What are the communities that we should protect? What, you know, like where, how do you feel these lines should be drawn? They don't. They're just like, oh, here's what we're going to do. Great, thanks for coming. If you have any questions, uh, you know, stick around. And but it's not really like a, it's not like a focus group. I mean, they, it's a presentation. It takes about twenty minutes, and then they're out the door. Yeah, I mean, I think that these are all important. I think that people should go. I think they should. You know, I think we should take the opportunity to make our voices heard. Um, I think there's a lot of things they can and should do better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, um, if you would like to attend any of those, all the information is on the People Not Politicians website. If you go to peoplenotpoliticians.org. Well, yeah, peoplenotpoliticians.org. And then uh, click on events. We I loaded them all into Eventbrite. So you can get the information there, put it on your calendar really easily. Um, you know, the legislature doesn't make it. Super easy to find, but uh, we try to help you out. It's almost like they don't want people to come. Yeah, you're right. It's like um, they're slow playing the public engagement piece. Well, on that note, listeners, thank you for being here. Thanks for listening with us. Um, Scott and I are going to sit here for a moment and make a list of potential guests over the summer. Some of them will be candidates for office. Some of them will be advocates like yourselves. If you're interested in being on the podcast, please send us an email at podcast at letsfixthisok.org. We would love to uh, we'd love to talk to you for a little bit. We could do a call-in show or a live show. That'd be awesome. It's about time. We should hit up uh, the folks at New State Burgers and do another live show. They would love it. It's a thousand degrees, but we'll make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. All right. Listeners, uh, don't forget, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week.